was so much fun filming that because the reality is everyone, everywhere, in every country, everywhere on this planet loves to receive gifts. How many of you love to receive gifts? How many of you did not raise your hand? Wow. You're a cheap. Okay, so... Everyone loves to receive gifts, and, and there's gift-giving that's going to happen here in a couple days at Christmas. We invite you back Christmas Eve to kind of celebrate that, let's lean into the beauty of this season, and then have a great, great, incredible time with your family, with your friends uh, on Christmas Day. And, and uh, as I think about this season, there's also this other gift-giving thing, maybe uh, this habit, this experience that you maybe... Uh, Taken in? Anyone ever been a part of a white elephant gift exchange? Raise your hand real high. How many of you have more joy trying to find something to put in a white elephant gift exchange than maybe even a real gift that you go shopping for? Because you're like you're hunting through your garage. You're like, what do I hate? that I know everyone else will hate, and it'll be so fun to watch them open it. Um, and like, so you, you scavenge for that, you look for that, and what's one of the biggest rules when you go to a white elephant gift exchange, right? You don't get the best wrapped gift. Why? Because that's usually the, the one that's the worst, right? Because you, people are compensating. They're like, this is the worst gift ever. So I'm going to wrap it really, really nice. And so when you show up to that, you're like, I, no, no, I'm not going to get the good wrapped one. Like, because that's a, you know, that's a tell sign that that's not going to be good. And so in, in the main rule when it comes to white elephant gift parties and exchanges is you've got to choose wisely, Right? And so sometimes you shake it a little bit, sometimes you kind of feel the weight of it, and you're just like, you got to choose wisely, which reminds me, anyone ever see the Indiana Jones trilogy, the last one, the last crusade? Anyone ever seen that? Okay, so like the Indiana Jones last movie of that, and if you're young, like under 20, uh, Harris of 40s with Star Wars, anyway, uh, so you check it out. So Indiana Jones, like he goes there, and his father, Sean Connery, which you know, 007, you probably didn't know that. Okay, so anyway, uh, so he gets there, he gets shot, right, and they're looking for the Holy Grail, and, and Indy's got to go through all these traps and get there, they get to the place of the Holy Grail, and they get like thousands of cups, right, and these mugs and these goblets and these, uh, every kind of, like, from glittery to like just wood and like just plain ones to like this one unbelievably gaudy one and just like all that stuff, and one guy gets ahead of Indiana, and he's like, oh, this is, this glitzy one has got to be the one, and so he dips it into the holy water, he drinks it, turns to dust, and Indiana's like, well, it's not that one. Uh, and it's like, and there's this really old, like 800-year-old guard, okay? Totally true story. Uh, no, okay, not really. But he's there, and what he says to Indiana is like, you got to choose wisely, like in this gravelly kind of voice, right? Because he's 800 years old. You'd have a gravelly voice if you were 800 years old. And so, like, he says that to Indiana, and he's like, oh, okay, Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe it's the wood one. And he takes the wood one and gets the holy water out. He goes out and drinks it, and he's fine. And the movie credit rolls, and you're like, oh, you saved the day again. That's all Indiana Jones movies. If you've been on the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, they all kind of end like that. Oh, you made it, barely. Uh, so it's kind of like that, but it's fun to watch. Choose wisely. I want that voice. That was the worst rendition of that voice. I'm sorry. But I want that to ring in your head. Because when it comes to Christmas, it's like that old 800-year-old guard who's saying to you and saying to me, choose wisely. Because the reality is the Christmas story, even now, continues to go out. It continues to be heard. But do you choose to respond to it? That's really the question. 
And so we've been looking at this Christmas story and looking at it from this perspective of Christmas is God's gift that he's given to us, he's given to me, and he continues to give this out, this invitation to enter into his story. And so it's this call to say there's so much there, and so much of life comes down to choices, doesn't it? How many of you make choices every single day? We all do. In fact, our world is kind of bursting at the seam, it seems, with choices. Do you know if, if you and I went to Starbucks tomorrow and we pulled up to the store, we were going to hang out, uh, which I'm totally fine doing. If you want to, just ask me. Uh, but like, if we were to do that, do you know when you walk up to the counter to talk to the barista to give your choice of coffee, do you know how many choices you have in that moment? Over 19,000 choices that you can make around coffee at one particular store chain. Some of you are like, that's not right. Google it. Find out for yourself. It's this idea. You have 19,000 choices between hot, cold, different kind of syrups and all that kind of stuff. 19,000 in one store. Now think about all the stores you go to and all the places you go and how many choices you are, are put before you every single day, put before me every single day. There was some research done with 100 uh, American college students and 100 Japanese college students. And they challenged them and said, look, I want you to write on one side of the piece of paper just every choice that you want to make in life. And on the back side, I want you to write the choices that you're okay letting other people make that you don't, want to, you don't necessarily have to have input in that. And do you realize that four times over, American college students chose four times more choices that they wanted to make. And a New York Times writer began to write about and look into this research and began to say some things. There's this choice explosion happening in America, is what he writes. He says this, this choice explosion. Americans now have more choices over more things than any other culture in human history. We could choose between the broad array of foods, media sources, lifestyle, habits, activities, identities, and so much more. In some ways, this is a positive trend. But Brooks also writes that he cautions that it's becoming incredibly important to learn how to decide well. Choose wisely is put before you and put before me every single day in so many ways and again at Christmas. Because the story of Christmas says Look, there's this incredible story that's unfolding, this incredible story that we can walk into and we can be a part of, but in the reality is it offers us a choice, a decision to make. Remember we looked a couple weeks ago at this idea of Luke chapter 2, so it's kind of the Christmas story. If you have your Bible, you can go there or open up the app and follow along on sermon notes, but in Luke 2, the shepherds are kind of encountered with this angel who's giving a message, and this is what it says, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The word shone is it like knocked them to the ground, and they were terrified, but the angel said, look, do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news. Usually when authority shows up, it's bad news. And we kind of think maybe we even portray that or kind of project that onto God sometimes. But God stepped into history and he brought a message and it was good news, not bad news. I'm bringing a message of good news, the angel says. You don't have to be afraid. Whatever you thought in your mind before I got here in this moment, you can erase it. You don't have to be afraid. This is good news for all people. 
Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The gift of Christmas is that God decided to do something uniquely different in history, and it has absolutely nothing to do about you. It has absolutely nothing to do about me and my decisions or my will or my choices. He showed up, and his choice said, I'm going to make a decision, and he declares good news. God didn't bail on us. He didn't walk away, didn't leave something. In fact, the good news is that he sent a Savior into the world, and that you needed that, and I needed that. And whether we recognize we need that or not, it's what we needed most. We may not think we do, and that's okay if you're not there. But it's absolutely what we needed the most. And God sent what we needed the most, the Savior, to come. And he didn't just ignore us. In fact, he didn't just send us a PDF file and say, hey, read this, and this will be health, you know, self-help life, uh, and you just kind of follow these tricks and follow these trades. He sent himself on a rescue mission. A Savior is what we need. The first step to embracing the incredible message of Christmas is to acknowledge and admit that I need what God sent, a Savior. I didn't need a helper. I didn't need someone with deep pockets to come alongside. I didn't need just an encourager or someone to manage my life better. I needed a rescue. And all of a sudden in life, maybe when you come to that realization and you realize I didn't need a wake-up call, I don't need a second chance, I need someone to rescue me forever. And not just rescue me eternally forever, but rescue me daily and continually. And that Jesus is a Savior who does that. With this idea that he rescues continually, we said last week, whatever you are willing to lay at the feet of your Savior, he is willing to save. It's not just a one-time eternal decision. It's an ongoing daily decision of allowing him to be of rescue to you. And so we pick up tonight in this Christmas story of, of choice. What do you do when that offer is put before you? It is the best offer in the world. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to just have good intentions around it? Are you going to think, hey, that's a really nice story? Or are you going to respond to it? The good news is announced, the Savior is highlighted and pointed to, and in that moment, those shepherds have a choice, and we're going to see what they chose. Verse 15, it goes on. When the angels had left them, gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened with the Lord, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go check it out. How many of you have really good intentions at times and never really follow through on it? Because that's really what that verse says. Let's go to Bethlehem. But until we see the next verse, it was just a good intention. And the reality is we all have good intentions at times. And sometimes those intentions can be delightful and they can be awesome. and We can, be, we can have all the gumption in the world be like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And yet we don't do it. Could be about exercise, could be eating better, could be about anything in the world, any habit that you want to create. And yet we don't do it because it's just a good intention. It comes to a moment of response and responding in that moment. The very next verse is this, so they hurried off. If you got a pen, circle that, highlight that, because that's the point when the shepherds said, look, the choice is before us, and I'm choosing to respond. And they took off. It says, they went and found Mary and Joseph. The baby was laying in the manger, just like they'd said. They spread the word concerning this had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
they hurried off, they responded, they took action, they made a choice and a decision, and they began to talk about what they had seen and heard. God's incredible offer was extended, and the shepherds responded. Choose wisely. And when you choose, it's not about just having good intentions. When you make a choice, it's about a decision. It's about stepping into that decision, walking that out, responding in a way. This Christmas story about Jesus as a Savior. Friends, if you've been in church for three minutes or 30 years, is an amazing story. It's a story you can give your whole life to. It's a story that transforms you and changes you and invites you into walking. It's the best offer ever given in history. There is no other offer like it. And listen, I know I'm biased, but I don't understand why everyone doesn't choose and respond to this story. I don't get it. I know I'm biased. In fact, if you're new and you're searching and you're here and you're, you're even skeptical about religion, I just, man, I can't tell you how proud I am of you for being here. We want to be a church where we together get to investigate Jesus and walk more closely with him and, and begin to discover more about him. In fact, you're sitting in a room of former skeptics. Uh, people who had went on their own spiritual journey, and some of them came quickly, and some of them came reluctantly, dragging their feet and dragging an anchor of faith, going, no, no, I don't trust this message. I'm not quite sure about this, and it's okay for you to have questions. But the choice is put before you nonetheless. And friends, I don't know why everyone in the world doesn't respond to this message. You search out religions of the world. And if you press down hard enough, here's what you're going to find. Be the best you can be, do everything you can, and hope. And that's really what they offer. There's no guarantees until Christianity shows up. And Christianity is this message of this Jesus, this Savior who came. And the story gets invited and announced to people who were nobodies. Shepherds were nobodies. And the story started there. It didn't start with the highest of highs and the people who were in the in crowd. It started with people who were on the outside looking in and hoping for something. And the God story shows up and says, look, I got good news, not bad news. I'm for you. And I've sent you what you need. You may even recognize that you need it, but I'm sending you what you need. And the choice is yours. Choose wisely. You can choose other things. God gives us that opportunity. But why would you want to choose? I, I know <laughs> that I'm biased. This story that God loves you, that he came to prove it, and that he gave his life so that you can be rescued to eternal life with him that begins now. A life that's forged, connected with him, where he forgives your sins, invites you into living how you were ultimately created to live as you follow him. Your eternal life begins clicking now, not when you die. You don't pray a prayer to get a ticket to go to heaven when you die. You say yes to Jesus, and you begin living life with him now, a with Jesus life now. 
on into eternity. And when you pass from this life to the life, then life, your life just keeps going. You're forever connected to him through faith in the son of Jesus. That you will never experience a moment again where he is not with you or not for you. This is a life-changing, one in a gabillion kind of message. Why would you not even investigate it? Why would you not even search it out? And I know people who say, well, well, yeah, well, 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 I don't know. Sounds good. Maybe even sounds too good to be true. I'm not quite sure if I want to commit to that. I've got questions. I've got some past hurts that hold me back. I've got some struggles with that. I know I'm not balanced in this. I was thinking through this week. I've been in ministry for 30 years now. I know I don't look that old. Okay, yeah, maybe I do. But I've seen God restore relationships that were shattered and probably labeled unfixable. And I've seen him fix it. I've seen him bring marriages back together. I've seen him save people from themselves when they didn't even want saving. I've seen God do miracle after miracle, experienced another one this week. I just, I see God working and doing, I see people with financial circumstances turn around when they begin living God's way and it just changes everything from them. I see people transform their lives. Every baptism you see is someone who said yes to Jesus because they, get, they said, I wanna trust in Jesus' story more than what I can try to create and I need him and it changes their life. Do they still have struggles? Yes. But they don't struggle alone ever again. And Jesus is walking a with God life now on into eternity. It's an amazing thing, and every time I see it, I'm amazed. If this is true, there is no better offer out there. If this is true, it's not just good news, it's unbelievable great news that everyone's invited to. It's kind of like when, when you, just, you meet someone, you ever bumped into someone that they're not utilizing something that has like revolutionized your life? Like you bump into people and they're like, you don't use email? What? Everyone uses email. Or you don't, you don't use GPS on your phone? Have you ever bumped into someone who's still carrying around fold-out paper maps in their car? Listen, if you're under 20, this really existed. There were people. I know, crazy people who actually carried around maps of the city on paper, and they had to unfold it, and occasionally, if, if their wife was yelling at them, like they were lost, and you're like, no, I'm not lost, and they'd pull out this paper, and they'd try to read it, and eventually they'd have to stop somewhere and ask somebody, instead of what you all do. What's the address? Plug it in, drive right there, right? Have you ever bumped into someone who doesn't use that? And you're like, whoa, 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 what? You don't use GPS in your phone? That's crazy. I promise you, once you use it, you'll never go back to a paper map. That's crazy sauce. And it has changed everything for you. As a follower of Jesus, I don't know why everyone doesn't just buy into the story. Listen, I know there's hesitation sometimes, and sometimes that hesitation comes from not having maybe the story explained in a way that makes sense, or maybe in a way that's compelling, or a way it became too confusing. And maybe, can I just say, the problem's not Christianity. The problem might be the explanation of the story. 
And here's what I want to invite you to. David and I are going to teach through a series in January called The Gospel. It's bigger and better than you thought it was. Because I think sometimes as a church or sometimes in Christianity, we have settled for something so much less than what it really truly is. And so I just invite you, if, if you're searching, you got questions about it, man, come in January. Just listen as we kind of unpack and share the beauty of God's story, of the gospel, what it really means and what you're really invited into, that it will, might explain some things, connect some dots in a way. Sometimes it's just poor explanation. Sometimes it's improper application. Sometimes people are hesitant to become a Christian because they've met too many Christians. And the way that they see people living out a faith, and they go, I don't see any change. I don't see anything different. I actually think I'm a better person than you. And they may say that. And so sometimes it's not just a poor explanation. Sometimes it's improper application. And people who wear a label of Christian live out an improper application of what it means to actually listen to Jesus' teachings and begin to follow it out and to walk more and more like him. And it puts on display something that people go, I don't know if I want any part of that. And for some of you who maybe have been on the skeptical journey about faith, and, and you're, you're fascinated, you're curious, you want it to be true. But there's this hesitation in you because either you saw something lived out that just distorted your view of Jesus. And, and friend, if that's you, I don't know if this makes any difference or not, but I'm really sorry. I'm just sorry. That that played out in front of you and hurt you. I'm sorry if there were people who were in leadership who did things to you or said things to you or kind of bullied you in a way or bumped into your life that distorted the way Jesus would have done it. I'm so sorry. I wish it was different. I wish we could go back and erase that and start over and we can't. For some of you, you've been hurt by church, maybe even by this church, we're not perfect. <laughs> we're far from it. But we're trying to be healthy. That is our aim and our goal. And we're asking Jesus to make us so. And so it's a challenge. And so maybe it's this poor application that's kind of hesitated you or you don't want to kind of give over to this whole story. I just want to invite you again to maybe hang around for January. Go on a journey with us to, to hear what the gospel is really about. Maybe to understand and, and to go in. And I pray that somewhere in your present or in your future, you will find it within yourself to give God room that he might clearly explain his story to you. Clearly invite you in and invite you in in a way that what he whispered so long ago, I've got good news for you. That it would catch your ear in a way where you go, I want more of that. I hope we can be a part of that. 
in that journey with you, with your friends, the people you're connected to. This Christmas story is an amazing story. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to be a part of this story because it's changed everything for me. It's revolutionized my life, not because I'm better or because I'm good, because Jesus is making me better. Not only did he save me, he's continually saving me. He's continually resurrecting me to be more and more who he's created me to be and called me to be, rescued me to be, gifted me to be. And I get to be part of his story. I don't know why everyone doesn't at least explore that. And so if that's you, if you're skeptical about that, I, I just hope, I pray, that somewhere in here, you'd allow God room to maybe reach past some of that hurt or reach past some of that brokenness, begin to speak with great clarity and truth into your life. This story that the shepherds, they encountered it, they made a choice, and they left and went to explore, and then they talked about what they'd seen and heard. What they had seen and what they had heard. Luke 2 is the Christmas story. It's probably the most um, grand explanation of Jesus' story of his coming at Christmas. But there's another verse from another writer that summarizes this Christmas story in such a beautiful and plain, simple way. And so with the time I got left, the best I got, I want to just explain this story in a way that's maybe simple enough for you to get. Maybe simple enough to maybe cut through some of those things that you've been holding off and in hesitation or keeping at arm's length. For those who may be interested for the first time to say yes to the story and for all of us who have maybe said yes to it, but who need to continually have a habit of saying yes again. John is one of the early apostles of Jesus. He was one of the earliest ones to begin to follow after Jesus as he showed up on the scene around the age of 30 and began to talk about the gospel, talk about his life, and talk about the story of God that was being written for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he shows up, and Jesus begins to share and teach and to do miracles and and just incredible things. And John early on says yes to walking around with Jesus. He lived life with him for three years. He saw the miracles. He saw the healings. He saw the teachings. He saw the fun times they had around the campfire because Jesus is not just some stiff dude. He's not just, you know, a He's fun, and he can have fun, and he spent three years of his life around Jesus, and then John stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus is nailed to the cross, and he had told his early followers, I'm doing this on your behalf. You may not understand right now, but I'm doing this for you. It will make sense, but I'm coming back, so this isn't the end of the story. It may look like it may look like there's going to be a period here, but it's actually going to be a semicolon. Just hang on. And so John is there. He watches Jesus die. He watches Jesus be buried. And three days later, he watches Jesus show up in his midst, resurrected and fully alive. And it changed everything for John. In fact, John spent the next 30 to 40 years telling people about what he had seen and what he had heard. Not explaining, here's what I believe, here's my belief system. No, no, 
I've seen him. I was there. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And I'm on a mission to tell people about the story of what I've seen and what I've heard. In fact, he talks so much about it that they exiled him to an island to get him to shut up. Because he was causing so much trouble and talking about this message. And so he's exiled on this island and he's becoming old. And he realizes, I've got to write this story down. And so he writes the Gospel of John, much like Mark and Luke and Matthew record this story that we may know what they saw and what they heard. Not just a belief system, not just some kind of PDF file that can be emailed to you and you figure it out on your own, about a person, the person of Jesus. And so John begins to write this story. Here's the other fascinating thing about John. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. John is there at the foot of the cross, and Jesus says something to him. In fact, Mary is there. The Mary from Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, Mary is there. And Jesus says to John from the cross, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. It's a simple phrase. We gloss over it. We forget about it. But do you know what that means as the firstborn Jewish boy? Your responsibility was to take care of your mother. And so you know what he did in that moment? John, you are now responsible for my mother. The same mother of Mary and Joseph from the Christmas story when Jesus was born. And so John, for the next umpteen years, we don't know how long, is hanging around with Jesus' mother. I don't, I can't prove that this happened, but I have a hunch that there were probably many, many conversations. Hey, Mary, maybe over dinner, about the whole virgin birth thing. Did that really transpire that way? Did that really happen? If you look back to Luke chapter 2, there's this little fascinating verse. Verse 18 and 19. Uh, all who heard the shepherds were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And John has time with Mary. Tell me about Jesus as he grew up. Tell me about how this all started. Tell me about it. Just tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me again. And John, for 30 to 40 years, speaks about Jesus, about what he had seen and what he heard. And what's amazing is John never changed his story. He never recanted. He never modified his story. He talked about it to his dying breath. Why? Because it was real. It happened. And even in persecution, you study the life of the disciples, the apostles, to the very end. You don't die for a lie. You wouldn't, I wouldn't. But when you speak about what you've seen and heard, you'll take that to the grave. And they did. Why? Because it happened. It's the Christmas story. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to be a part of this story. And John writes... In John chapter 3, a little simple summary, I think, of the Christmas story. You probably have heard this verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. That's John's tie back to Luke chapter 2. This is good news for some people. Is that what the angel said? This is good news for good people? Is that what he said? No. The angel said this is good news for all people. For God so loved the world, all people, that he gave his one and only son. That he gave. See, when you love someone, you give. How many of you have people you love? 
You know what you're going to do in a couple of days? You're going to give them something because it's just what you do. When you love someone, you give. In fact, you're going to have presents wrapped for people you don't even like who might show up at your house just because you don't want them to feel bad and not having a gift. But for the people you love, you're going to give. Why? Because it's what love does. You don't even have to believe in the gospel to understand this. This is true of your life. If you love people, you give to them. It's just what you do. So God so loved the world, everybody, all people, that he gave his one and only son, that if you would believe in him, uh, to believe in him is much like when you came in here, you sat down in a chair. Not one of you sat down, and before you sat down, you asked yourself, I hope this chair, I wonder if this chair will hold me up. You all exercised faith tonight. You put your faith in that chair to hold you up. No questions asked. That's exactly what this Greek word here is saying. For all who believe in him, who put their trust in him, and what he did and who he is, what he has to say about life, when you put your trust in him, that you will not perish, but have everlasting life. You'll have a with God life starting right now, on into eternity. You are an eternal being. Did you know that? And you can have a with God life, or you can have a without God life. And the choice is yours. Friends, listen, listen, listen. Choose wisely. It matters what you choose. You can have good intentions. That's a choice. A choice to do nothing. Or you can make a choice and respond the same way that these shepherds did. They heard the news, they responded to the news, and then they told people about it because it changed them. I love the, the passion version of this, for this is how much God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the unique son as a what? A gift. This whole series is called The Gift. So that now everyone who believes in him will never perish but have an experience everlasting life a with God life. Those shepherds had a choice in that moment, and they chose to respond. Uh, maybe that's the invitation for us. They heard the news, they believed it, they acted upon what they heard. May we be those kind of people. May you have and find that kind of moment for you. Here's one of the takeaways I wrote. Choose Jesus, choose him today, and the next and the next, and the next, and the next. Orient your whole life in living around choosing him and his ways continually. Why? Because he chose you first. Choose wisely. Father, this story, this Christmas story that we lean into every year this season, it's so easy to gloss over in one way. But we will never mind the depths of it if we really give our life to it. God, for many of us here, we have said yes, and we've made the choice. We, we heard the news, we believed it, and we responded. And that's a lot of us here, God. But it's so easy in our culture of so many choices, so many voices, so many things clamoring for our attention to want to choose other things than you. Would you help us to choose you continually? Because you continually choose us. 
God, for some who are here who have maybe been on this journey, they've been skeptical, they've been leery, they've been hurt. God, no one talk is going to solve all that. But I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw them to yourself. You would strip away the confusion. You would heal up the hurts. You would create room in their heart to consider if this story is true, it's the greatest story in the history of the world. And it's worth choosing you. So Father, as we take communion, as we wrap up in in worship, we remember, Jesus, it's your life, it's your death, it's your resurrection. It's the totality of the gospel that we're invited into, that you shed your blood, you gave your life for the forgiveness of our sins, and, and even more than that, to invite us into life with you. Today, forever, May we give our lives to that. May we remember that in the moment. May you encourage us and stir us to continually choose you over all things. Would you stir us in this moment as we worship you? We want to be a people who choose wisely.